Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Thank you for standing by. Welcome to the Good Food Third Quarter 2021 Financial Results Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in listen-only mode. Following the presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session. As a courtesy to others, we ask that each participant limit themselves to one question. Instructions will be provided at that time for you to queue up for questions. Please note that questions will be taken from financial analysts only. If anyone has any difficulties hearing the conference, please press star followed by the zero for operator assistance at any time. I would like to remind everyone this conference call is being recorded today, July 7, 2021 at 8 a.m. Eastern Time. Furthermore, I would like to remind you that today's presentation may contain forward-looking statements about Good Foods' current and future plans, expectation and intentions, results, level of activity, performance, goals or achievements, or other future events or developments. As such, please take a moment to read the disclaimer on forward-looking statements on slide two of the presentation. I would now like to turn the meeting over to your host today for today's call, Jonathan Ferrari, Good Foods Chief Executive Officer. Mr. Ferrari, you may proceed. Thank you. Bonjour à tous et bienvenue à l'appel conférence Le marché Good Food pour présenter nos résultats financiers du troisième trimestre de l'exercice 2021, close le 31 mai. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this call for Good Food Market Corp to present our financial results for the third quarter of fiscal 2021, ended this May 31st. I'm pleased to be joined on the call today by Neil Kagi, Good Foods President and Chief Operating Officer, and Jonathan Reuter, Chief Financial Officer. Our press release reporting our third quarter results was published earlier this morning. It can be found on our website at makegoodfood.ca and on CDAR. Please be aware that we will refer to certain metrics and non-IFRS measures. Where possible, these measures are identified and reconciled to the most comparable IFRS measures in our MDNA. Finally, let me remind you that all figures expressed on today's call are in Canadian dollars unless otherwise stated. Turning to slide three, which outlines our key financial highlights for the third quarter. Our results this quarter demonstrate the continued strength of Good Foods' value proposition to our customers. The clear benefits, convenience, and differentiation of our ready-to-cook products, combined with our growing grocery selection and same-day delivery capabilities, drove strong basket sizes and order rates, translating in record revenues. Our gross profit also hit a new record as basket sizes and operational effectiveness led to fixed cost leverage and lower credits and incentives. Our last mile delivery optimization also contributed to the solid results. This strong operational performance positions us well to continue to invest in additional initiatives to attract and retain customers. Adjusted EBITDA, which was positive for the quarter, was and will continue to be impacted as we have previously communicated by the significant strategic investments we are making in people, technology, 
and new infrastructure to support our next stage of growth. It is important to note that our investments in footprint and new technologies impact both our capital and operating expenses. Finally, our positive cash flows from operating activities, coupled with a strong balance sheet, continues to provide us with significant financial flexibility. Overall, our financial performance this quarter has been strong, driven by our strategy, solid execution, and the accelerated penetration of online grocery and meal solutions shopping. Generating year-over-year growth of 24% and 51% in revenues and gross profit, respectively, in the context of a comparable quarter that was significantly positively impacted by the pandemic last year, is is an achievement we are all very proud of. I will now turn to slide four to discuss Good Food's evolution. Since going public in 2017, Good Food has evolved significantly. We gained substantial scale with revenues growing from $20 million in 2017 to over $380 million today. Our product offering has and continues to evolve to better serve our customers. Good Food has grown from a ready-to-cook meal kit company with a handful of recipes to now building out Canada's leading on-demand grocery delivery network anchored by a 30-recipe-deep ready-to-cook offering that changes weekly a growing grocery product selection, and an expanding purpose-built footprint with currently approximately 800,000 square feet spread across nine facilities from coast to coast. This evolution has enabled us to capture a larger share of customers' food and grocery spend and penetrate larger addressable markets. Moving to slide five, as we continue our evolution, our strong execution has allowed us to to make significant progress on three key pillars required to build Canada's leading on-demand online grocery network and ultimately drive our next phase of growth. First, our selection of grocery products has has grown tremendously. We have added nearly 250 products in the past three months alone and are close to reaching the 1,000 SKU milestone well ahead of our initial goal to do so by the end of calendar 2021. As we continue to build the right selection for our customers, we plan on adding more produce and as well as complement our existing good food offering with select national brands for customers to complete even more grocery baskets with good food. Second, delivery speed is a key requirement of shoppers to adopt online grocery delivery. To increase delivery speed and optimize cost structure, we are in the process of building out our distributed network of centralized manufacturing and distribution infrastructure, which will feed our highly automated and tech-enabled footprint of local fulfillment centers that will be close to customers. As such, in addition to expanding same-day delivery in Montreal and Toronto, During the quarter, we continue to make progress in building out this this distributed network, which will provide speedier deliveries while further lowering our cost to serve. Specifically, during the quarter, in addition to our announced new automated local fulfillment center in Ottawa, we added a distribution center in Montreal that will ultimately only service Quebec and Eastern Ontario. We expect both facilities to be operational in the first half of fiscal 22. In addition, subsequent to the quarter end, we signed leases in Toronto and Montreal 
the former a manufacturing site that will allow us to redistribute closer to our customer activities currently taking place at our main Hickmore facility, and the latter further reducing our same-day delivery window in the Montreal region. Our footprint development will allow us to further enhance delivery speeds in the key markets of Montreal and Toronto, but also launch same-day delivery in Vancouver, Ottawa, and Quebec City in the near term. Third, we are investing significantly in our differentiated technology platform. Our internal technology team has grown from 15 people less than two years ago to 75 people today. This investment has enabled us to assemble and develop the technology infrastructure to begin automating our grocery fulfillment, develop a frictionless platform that will be open to non-subscribers in short order, develop an exciting and very well-rated mobile application, and ultimately to orchestrate orders automatically. In sum, we believe that as we bring these three pillars together, coupled with continuing to provide Canadians with their meal solutions, we are uniquely positioned to address the growing online segment of Canada's $130 billion grocery market. Before I turn the call uh, over to Jonathan Reuter, I would like to welcome him to our executive team. Along with Greg Christopher, who joined as EVP of operations, we've added experience and depth to our executive team and are thrilled with contributions made so far with much more to come. On that note, over to Jonathan Reuter to review our financial performance in detail. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Jonathan. I'm excited to have joined this dynamic team and company and look forward to bringing great convenience and quality to Canadians' homes in the coming years. I will now turn to slide six, which provides details on subscribers and revenues. The acceleration of deliver-to-home e-commerce grocery and meal solution adoption, combined with good foods enhancements in delivery speed, product offering, and customer loyalty, have allowed us to achieve record results again this quarter. Subscribers grew 16% year-over-year to reach 317,000, with a small sequential decline in subscribers of 0.6% being more than offset by continued strength of our customers' engagement with our platform. Record revenues of approximately $108 million grew year-over-year year by $21 million, an increase of 24% compared to the same period last year. The increase in revenues was primarily driven by sustained strength of order rates, particularly at the beginning of the quarter, and basket, size, and basket sizes purchased by subscribers, which were a result of increased product offering. In summary, more customers brought bigger baskets more often. Also, the stronger revenue growth compared to subscriber growth highlights the success of our strategy to broaden our grocery product offering to fill a larger portion of customer baskets. Please now turn to slide seven, which looks at our profitability levels. Our record gross profit increased to $37.7 million, translating into a gross margin of 35%. Gross profit grew 51% year over year and gross margin grew 6.2 percentage points. The increase in gross profit and gross margin resulted mainly from fixed cost leverage 
provided by higher average order values, lower current levels of credits and incentives at the percentage of revenues, and also from continued improvements in delivery unit costs, driven by the favorable cost structure of our last mile delivery initiative. We are also pleased to report another quarter of positive adjusted EBITDA, standing at $1.7 million, or a margin of 1.6%. Compared to the prior year's adjusted EBITDA of $6 million and 6.9%, the decline in adjusted EBITDA was primarily driven by the significant investment in G&A expenses, which we are making to expand our technology, grocery, fulfillment, supply chain, and management teams to support the next phase of our growth. The combination of these factors led to a net loss this quarter of $2 million, the equivalent of three cents per share versus the prior year's net income of $2.8 million or net income of five cents per share. Turning to slide eight for a review of cash flows and capital expenditures. We generate cash flows from operating activities of $1 million for the third quarter of this fiscal year. This was enabled by our attractive negative working capital structure combined with a growing scale. Compared to last year, cash flow from operating activities has come down primarily as our investments and operating expenses have led to higher net loss. Capital expenditure for the third quarter were approximately $5 million or 4.7% of our Q3 revenue. They are mainly related to equipment deposits, leasehold improvements to new and existing facilities, and the build-out of parts of our technology platform. For fiscal 2021, we now expect to invest approximately $20 million in capital expenditures to build our fulfillment infrastructure for same-day delivery of approximately 4,000 SKUs across the country, and further increase our automation and technology platforms. We continue to expect our fiscal 2022 CapEx investments to be meaningfully higher as we roll out same-day delivery to more and more Canadians focus on automation to reduce our cost to serve, and continue to enhance our technology platform while advancing other initiatives as detailed in the use of proceeds section of our latest MDNA. Lastly, we ended the quarter with cash and cash equivalents of $157 million, which continues to provide significant balance sheet flexibility to execute our growth strategy. Finally, we'd like to turn to slide nine to provide conclusions and discuss our outlook. We are very proud of our record revenues and gross profit generated this quarter, along with a strong year-over-year growth in the context of a quarter, which was significantly positively impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic last year. We are even more pleased with the key developments that highlight the progress made in our evolution to building Canada's leading on-demand online grocery network. As we set our sights for fiscal 2022, the selection, speed, footprint, and technological developments achieved this quarter have us very well positioned to benefit from the value proposition we are building to further entice Canadians in adopting online grocery delivery. Turning to the nearer term, as you may recall, our fourth quarter is impacted by seasonality. By last year's fourth quarter, saw a mild seasonal decline in revenues as our historical seasonality impact was partly muted by the positive impact of the COVID-19 related commerce restraints. We now expect, as these restraints have been lifted throughout most of the country, the normal seasonal effects of the summer months, along with the ongoing vaccination rollout 
to impact fourth quarter results. With that said, looking to 2022, we expect e-commerce grocery and meal solution shopping to continue growing at a fast pace. I believe we are setting the stage for good food to continue household penetration growth. In summary, our main, priors, our main priorities remain building the right selection of products for our customers, coupled with a technological platform that reduces friction points and provides our customers additional flexibility, while further building out our distributed fulfillment network to increase speed of delivery. Taken together, we believe these three pillars will build Good Food's leading on-demand online grocery network in a market still in its early days. On that note, I will turn over to the operator for the Q&A portion of the call. Thank you. As a reminder, to ask a question, you'll need to press star 1 on your telephone. Our first question comes from Martin Landry with Stiefel. Your line is open. Hey, Martin, I don't know if you're uh, speaking. We can't hear you. Hi, good morning. Can you hear me? Loud and clear. Good morning. <laughs> good morning. Sorry about that. Um, congrats on the quarter and welcome, Jonathan, to the team. Um, my first question is on the grocery opportunity. Um, there's lots of discussion on on grocery but it's difficult for us to measure your growth in that channel. I, uh, I was wondering if you could share any data that could give us some, you know, an order of magnitude of progress, like non-meal kit revenues during the quarter or, or discuss the growth rate of your grocery revenue. Anything that you're willing to share would be helpful. Yeah, so uh, we had previously um, uh, discussed our kind of non-meal solution uh, revenue being in, in the 10% uh, range of sales. Um, because of the uh, great growth that we've seen in uh, meal kits over the past uh, 12 months, um, that, you know, that range is still uh, accurate today. Um, as John mentioned uh, during our prepared remarks, we've seen um, – uh, you know, we're, we're kind of expecting and, and planning to hit the 20% uh, of sales mark for the grocery uh, product lines in the short term. And so as we prepare to launch these uh, local fulfillment centers that we've talked about, such as the one in, in Ottawa, that are going to be well equipped for um, uh, fulfilling our growing selection of SKUs, as well as um, the launch of our new digital experience that will allow customers to, to um, engage with our grocery products without needing to sign up uh, for a meal kit subscription. Um, uh, kind of those factors combined with uh, the growth of our selection, which we've made um, great progress on this quarter with the, the launch of 250 products, um, that's setting us up to see um, uh, to see the business get close to that 20% mark uh, during um, uh, fiscal 22. Okay, so, so just to be clear, do you expect um, to have fiscal 22 uh, sales, 20% uh, of sales coming from 
um, non-meal kits or, or just hit that run rate inflection point at some time during the, during the year? Yeah, I would say on a, on a run rate basis, I think we can uh, expect to hit that level uh, sometime in fiscal 22. Okay. Okay. That's helpful. And then just uh, my last question would be on, on your, um, your rolling out of same day delivery in Ottawa in Quebec city and Vancouver. Um, any um, tidbits you can give us on timing of, of, of the rollout of these uh, services uh, in these cities would be helpful. Yeah. Hey, Martin, it's Neil. Um, morning. Um, timing on it. Uh, we're doing a lot of work uh, over the last uh, quarter and uh, in Q4 uh, to prepare for uh, what you know is our, you know, kind of back to school and, uh, and heavy period throughout uh, Q1, 2, and 3. So um, you should see an acceleration of the rollouts of cities uh, over the first half of fiscal 22 um, and, uh, and hopefully even faster during the uh, second half of 22. Okay, Neil, just to be clear, which cities are you going to have in uh, offering first uh, same-day delivery in first half of 2022? The ones you mentioned uh, should, be, uh, should be on track for first half. So Ottawa, Vancouver, and Quebec City. Yeah. Okay. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Frederick Tremblay with Desjardins. Your line is open. Thank you. Good morning. Um, so first question for me is on, uh, Jonathan, you, you touched on um, eventually opening up the platform to non milkit subscribers for the, the grocery business. Um, can you help us just uh, understand which uh, which milestones or which steps uh, still need to be uh, to be achieved for that to be launched? And was wondering if that's also dependent on you guys uh, supplementing the current offering with national brands, which is also something that you mentioned. So are those two things uh, related or they're two completely different uh, initiatives? Yeah, thanks uh, for the question, Fred. So. Um, our, our entire strategy here was built uh, around all of the, feed, the feedback and, we, uh, and the data that we've gathered um, from our WOW customer base. That's kind of our, the, the closest proxy that we have to uh, grocery first customers. Um, so looking at that feedback, we've mentioned in previous quarters that uh, the most important uh, request that they have to turn good food into their weekly grocery shopping destination is to see the growth um, in, in assortment and, and SKU count. So that's why we're really pushing on uh, accelerating um, uh, the growth of our SKU count. Um, in order to service uh, that larger SKU count, we need to have our facilities uh, set up uh, locally in the cities that we've mentioned in order to be able to service uh, the grocery basket um, with a high, um, uh, pick and, and quality perspective and a, uh, an optimized cost to serve and, and last mile delivery fee. So that's kind of the other piece. And then the last piece is uh, just adapting our digital customer experience to be able to um, uh, kind of guest browse on our website and check out uh, with or without uh, a meal kit subscription. 
So those are the three pieces that uh, we'll see coming together during uh, fiscal 22, and we'll be rolling that out um, in select markets across the country. I think the, the exciting uh, piece there to, to uh, understand is we're really opening up um, our customer pyramid to have different levels of uh, engagement within our customer base. So our uh, highest uh, engagement customers are, are well suited to the meal kit subscription, right? To receive a, a weekly or bi-weekly delivery um, of, of meal solutions and, and meal kits directly to their home. For our uh, medium and lower engagement customers, the meal kit subscription uh, tends to be uh, not well adapted uh, to their needs. It tends to be uh, to create friction uh, for that set of customers. So our intent is to make sure that we keep a, a very attractive uh, meal kit subscription um, uh, opportunity for our high engagement customers for whom it makes sense, and then open up our customer pyr uh, pyramid to be able to generate uh, a significant amount uh, of our revenues from our medium and lower engagement customers, uh, which in other uh, retail environments can create uh, kind of 50% of sales in, in, in certain other retailers within those two sections of their pyramid. That's really helpful. Thanks for that. Um, last question for me would be on the inventory front. We saw it was essentially stable sequentially at $14 million, despite you guys adding 250 products. So curious to hear your thoughts on, you know, inventory management and how you've been able to sort of keep the, uh, the inventory where it is despite uh, significant growth in the product selection and, and sort of what we can expect going forward with, uh, with inventory management and working capital uh, needs. Sure. Thank you uh, for the questions, Jonathan here. Um, from an inventory perspective, uh, well, first of all, we uh, our inventory will continue to grow as we continue to add uh, additional products um, in the grocery front. Um, that being said, uh, the turnover uh, continues to be in line with uh, historical quarters. Um, and as we, you know, add more facilities, the, as I mentioned, inventory will keep on growing. Um, we have systems in place and processes in place to to, to, to manage. Uh, uh, our inventory uh, and ensure that it continues to turn, you know, at, at a at a rate that's um, attractive. Al ultimately, this all comes back to uh, our attractive negative working capital uh, model, and uh, we continue to foresee uh, that model to keep on working. As you know, our customers um, pay us once we uh, ship the product, and with our suppliers, uh, we have uh, obviously uh, days to pay them. So we're we're really uh, excited with that negative working capital model. Uh, continue um, as we go forward. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Ryan Lee with National Bank. Your line is open. Hi. Thanks for taking my questions. Uh, good morning, guys. Um, just had a few questions at this point. Um, can you talk about the inflation trends um, and what you're seeing from from the cost perspective, and which buckets are, are seeing the most impact? I know that's like a topical item. Um, uh, if you can go into some more details on that, like obviously your gross margin rate is still benefited uh, every year. Yeah. Hey, Ryan, it's Neil. Uh, thanks for the question, and good morning. Um, 
you know, as we said in previous quarters, uh, we see the same inflation that uh, you know, the rest of the food industry or the rest of the e-commerce industry sees. So um, we're not immune to any of the, uh, of the trends that you uh, you experience and hear about from, uh, from other companies. Um, we uh, Ryan, could you go on mute? Actually, your your uh, typing I think is uh, quite loud in the background there. Oh, sorry um, about that. Thanks. So. Um, yeah, so, so as I was saying, uh, we see the same inflation that uh, most other uh, players in the industry see. Uh, we do have the, the benefit of being able to adjust menu um, several uh, weeks and months in advance uh, when we do see uh, outsized inflation in specific parts uh, of input costs, at least. Um, we also passed along uh, a price increase during the quarter to offset some of the inflation that we were seeing that uh, we thought was more structural and going to stick around for a long time. Um, so overall, in the food food front, we think you know we're we're well under control and uh, performing well. Um, obviously, gross margin 35% of the quarter uh, wouldn't be possible without uh, good cost control on that side. Um, the other place that we see right now is uh, is the labor side as the economy reopens and uh, uh, demand for uh, lower skilled labor uh, picks back up. Um, you know, it's been more and more difficult to attract and, and retain uh, workforce uh, in certain parts of the country. So We've had to adjust wages um, uh, in certain facilities. Uh, usually, those um, adjustments stay around. Uh, we're not going to go and increase and decrease in, in, in six months from now. So uh, that would be the uh, the other bucket that we have a, a close eye on. Okay, thanks for that. And then my last question is kind of related to capex spend and some facilities. Um, can you provide an update on the Toronto facility when, when that's looking to come up and running um, uh, as well? I think the um, Jonathan Reuter was saying that uh, the CapEx was about, the plan is about $20 million this year. Is that down slightly from um, the prior figures that you guys were looking at, like 25 to $30 million for the year? Um, and uh, lastly, like on the new smaller facilities, what, what kind of footprint is that? What kind of level investment? Are you looking at for the Quebec City um, uh, and Vancouver locations? Yeah, uh, let me try to get all those. Um, so first off, on uh, on capex for twenty two for twenty one, uh, the previous guidance I think was twenty to thirty. So we'll be uh, within that guidance, probably at the lower end of the range, um, mostly based on uh, on capex opex split uh, timing of some of the investments. Um, and uh, and just you know lease signing etc. So um, that's where we'll end up most likely for 21. For 22, it'll be significantly higher than that. Um, as I was saying to uh, to Martin's question, like we're going to significantly accelerate the rollout in the, in a lot of different uh, uh, markets, which will uh, necessitate a higher capex spend. Um, on the Toronto facility, uh, no major updates from the update we gave last quarter. Uh, you know, we've uh, we've shifted resources to enable same-day delivery in more cities. Uh, that's proving to be the right uh, strategy. Um, construction delay is still kind of outside of our control, but uh, like I said, in line with uh, with the last update, we've uh, we've uh, shifted a lot of the uh, the internal engineering tech and, and resources towards uh, the distributed network, as uh, as the John mentioned on. Uh, on the prepared remarks. I think that covered all your questions, Ryan. Was there one more? Um, yeah, just maybe a quick update on on, what, on those smaller facilities for the same delivery capability. Like, um, what's what's what level of investment are we looking at for these these locations? 
Yeah. Um, we don't want to break out the investments per facility uh, quite yet, um, but we'll have some uh, updates uh, through uh, the first half of fiscal 22. Um, what I can say right now is, uh, is significantly more capex spend in, uh, in fiscal 22 versus 21. You know, we have 160 million almost on the balance sheet plus uh, significant debt uh, access. So uh, we're, uh, we're excited to put that capital to work uh, at very, very high ROI. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Our next question comes from Grammy Krindler with 8 Capital. Your line is open. Hi, good morning, and thank you for taking my questions here. Um, I wanted to follow up uh, regarding the comments about um, seasonality into Q4 uh, and get some thoughts about um, reopening trends and how it may impact the business um, moving forward. I'm curious if you could talk about that with respect to um, you know, the potential subscriber growth heading into Q4, what you're seeing to date, um, as well as uh, the average revenue per spend. Um, you know, that's had some good growth in Q3 year, year over year. Uh, I'm wondering, um, despite some of the listed restrictions here, whether you're still seeing some, uh, some durability in terms of uh, some of those stay-at-home trends with consumers. Thank you very much. Good morning, uh, Graham. Thanks for the question. Um, so uh, we're quite pleased with the uh, uh, Q3 results that we reported. We started um, uh, comping to the uh, like COVID quarters uh, 12 months ago. Um, so seeing kind of over 20% uh, revenue growth as um, the vaccination uh, was progressing well in Canada during uh, our Q3 of 21 and comparing um, to a, a, a kind of a, a COVID uh, bump quarter last year and seeing that nice year over year growth, um, I think puts us in, in a really great place. Um, we feel uh, quite confident that the um, uh, digitization uh, of the food and grocery industry in Canada remains at, um, uh, at its very early days. Um, we're still seeing over 90% of uh, food and grocery sales being done in brick and mortar stores. Um, and so uh, we expect that over the coming years, um, that number will shift pretty uh, dramatically online. Q4 is a seasonally uh, uh, weak uh, quarter for us. We didn't see that full uh, seasonality last year because um, uh, you know, there was no vaccine and, and uh, restaurants and the general kind of travel and economy uh, were mostly closed last uh, summer. Um, so there, there will be a kind of a, a, a seasonal impact to Q4 and some progress uh, on the vaccine rollout and, and reopening of restaurants, uh, which contributes to uh, customer demand certainly um, rising within uh, the brick and mortar channels uh, in Q4. Um, we are uh, continuing to see some really strong um, uh, basket sizes. So the strategy of growing our selection, accelerating, uh, accelerating our delivery speed, um, creates more um, uh, opportunities for customers to find what they're looking for at Good Food and, and to uh, have bigger baskets, which is uh, positive for both revenue uh, and gross margin. Um, and our churn continues to be um, at record low levels. And so we're really pleased to see that retention and, and uh, engagement from our existing customer base as well. Okay, understood. Thank you very much for that. And then just as a quick follow-up, with respect to the 4,000 SKU uh, longer-term goal, is there any specific timing 
um, that you've put in terms of reaching that goal? And does the inclusion of national brands, um, do those national brands, are they included within that 4,000 figure? Thanks. Yeah, so we have um, uh, built our uh, fulfillment center uh, footprint, both uh, in terms of our um, uh, centralized uh, distribution facilities, as well as our uh, uh, local uh, fulfillment uh, facilities. Uh, uh, kind of both of those pieces of our network uh, have been built for approximately a total of uh, 4,000 uh, SKUs. Um, as part of those 4,000 SKUs, uh, we do expect to have a percentage of those uh, be um, kind of third-party or national brands. Um, some of those third-party brands uh, might be um, uh, large national uh, brands that have uh, kind of very strong market concentration. Um, some of them uh, might be uh, a way in which we can uh, provide some local uh, products in, in different uh, cities that we service. Um, and so it's important to note as well that um, the 4,000 SKUs that we're talking about, um, the total count will be the same uh, across all of the regions that we service, but the actual SKUs will be adapted uh, to each regional market. So it won't necessarily be the, four, the same or in fact, it will not be the same 4,000 SKUs uh, in each of the markets that we're servicing. Um, and so we're quite proud with the progress we've made there. 15 months ago, uh, we had essentially no grocery uh, products. Uh, today, we're hitting uh, close to our 1,000 uh, um, SKU count, well ahead of, of what we were projecting uh, for calendar 2021. Um, and we're very close to that inflection point where uh, we'll have uh, a critical mass of SKUs that will enable our customers to do most of their uh, weekly shop with us. Uh, and that'll probably happen somewhere between um, the 1500 and 2500 SKU mark. So we don't actually need to get to the full 4000 uh, before having uh, kind of that inflection point and, and the vast majority of what our customers need for their weekly shop. Um, so we're really pleased with that progress there. Okay, understood. And and if I could just sneak one more in, in terms of the bringing on thir third party or national brands, um, how was that process? Um, you know, how is that going? Are you getting lots of inbounds from these brands who want to be on the Good Food platform? Um, is there a lot of active outreach from from the Good Food side? What's that look like in terms of the mix of inbound versus outbound? Certainly, um, fifteen months ago, it was uh, entirely our team that was uh, reaching out to. Uh, find suppliers and, and uh, ultimately products uh, that wanted to be part of our assortment. Um, today, the, the table has, has shifted, right? And, and we have um, uh, hundreds, if not thousands of um, products and suppliers that are reaching out to us um, to have their products listed. Uh, and that includes both uh, private label products and branded products. Um, one of the interesting things to note about um, uh, the branded products is that uh, many of these uh, uh, branded product companies are, are interested in um, building out a digital strategy and finding ways to reach um, uh, kind of younger uh, digital savvy consumers. And so um, there's some interesting potential there for brand partnerships and ultimately for monetizing um, some of those uh, relationships with the branded uh, product companies. Got it. Appreciate the color. Thank you very much. 
Thank you. Our next question is from Luke Hanna with Canaccord Genuity, and we would like to remind everybody to please keep your questions to one question and one follow-up. Luke, your line is open. Great. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, good morning, everyone. I just wanted to, I guess, dig a little bit deeper into um, your marketing spend, and specifically I'm curious if you can share um, anything on, on, on how specifically you've been able to become more efficient um, in that spend. Are you just, is it a matter of sort of selecting the right mediums where you're, you're starting to see better conversions of, you know, your dollars into customers that are attracted to the platform? Um, you know, anything that you can shed some light on and maybe how that's evolved <clears throat> and how you sort of plan on, on evolving that strategy, I guess, over the balance of the next 12 months. Awesome. Good morning. Uh, so, so um, in terms of our marketing strategy, um, we've been uh, really nimble uh, during this reopening and uh, kind of roll out a, a vaccination progress. Um, and so we've been nimble in, in a couple of different ways. One is um, the, the uh, composition of our marketing spend between uh, incentives and media. That's kind of one area uh, where we try to be flexible to generate um, kind of the best results on our marketing spend. Uh, and then the second uh, piece where we're, where we're being flexible is, and really nimble, within um, our media spend, we're going where uh, our customers are. And so uh, in times where um, the economy is more closed, people are more at home, uh, we're focusing uh, on those at-home uh, marketing channels like uh, our TV uh, spending and, and our digital channels. Uh, while uh, during kind of the, the summer months and rolling out uh, of the vaccine, we're focusing on more of those uh, out-of-home channels like um, radio and, and billboards to, to be where our customers are. Um, we're continuing to see uh, great paybacks uh, on our marketing spend, um, primarily driven by um, uh, you know, our record retention rates with our customers and uh, great increase and in, in progress in our basket sizes. Okay, that's helpful, thanks. Um, and then my, my second question, um, I saw in my, my inbox, it was last night, I think it was, um, that you guys are introducing a, a new pricing model where there's gonna be, I think, a, a delineation or a separation of the, the delivery fee component and the service fee component um, outside of, I guess, what was already included in the cost of the actual um, meal kits before, and then as well, you're reducing the minimum orders um, on, I think, Good Food Wow um, uh, deliveries. So I guess my question is, what sort of drove um, the move to that? And it's, it's very early days, obviously, so we don't know um, how exactly that's that's playing out. But I, what what's informing your move to that? Is something that you that is that something you decided internally? You know, it's within your your ability to be able to do so and do so profitably that you decided to do this, or um, are you sort of taking this um, as a response to maybe what's going on in the marketplace today? Uh, great question. Thanks, Luke. And uh, um, uh, happy to see that you're reading our uh, marketing material. So we, we um, are testing out within our uh, member base, uh, splitting out um, kind of the, the delivery uh, portion uh, of what the customer is paying versus the, the product level. Um, uh, pricing. Uh, the reasons behind that uh, are twofold. Um, f 
first, um, it's become somewhat of a of an industry norm to to split out um, the, the uh, delivery portion versus the uh, product level uh, pricing, and so um, kind of trying to align uh, with the way that uh, customers are becoming used to seeing uh, that pricing structure is one piece of it. Uh, the second piece of it is um, we're really trying to ensure that our product level pricing uh, is is um, uh, comparable or at a discount right to um, uh, the conventional banners or I would say at a, at a pretty significant discount to uh, the pricing of, of conventional grocery banners and so um, that split is made more obvious to our customers by um, kind of clearly showing them what part of the uh, pricing that they're paying is related to the product level pricing uh, versus the delivery uh, pricing. Uh, and then the second piece, uh, you know, uh, to that as well is um, having a, a delivery fee baked in, I think, um, uh, makes uh, uh, larger baskets more attractive to customers, right, to be able to amortize a little bit of that delivery cost over a larger basket, um, which is uh, something we'd like to incentivize. Um, and then um, it also makes our uh, wow value proposition even more attractive to have those um, uh, delivery fees be waived uh, uh, through our wow monthly subscription. So these are things that um, we're testing out. And as you said, it's, it's very early days, um, but we're looking forward to getting some, uh, some customer feedback around that and ultimately trying to maximize um, the, you know, the value perception and the price perception from our customers as well as uh, the economics of the business model. Okay, thanks. Sorry, very very quickly as a follow-up, is that something you're doing across your entire member base right now or just in certain uh, geographies? Uh, we like to roll it out um, on a progressive basis. And so um, uh, kind of assuming the results are positive, um, it kind of gets rolled out on a more, on a wider basis. Perfect, okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Our next question comes from George Dumay with Scotiabank. Your line is open. Yeah, good morning, guys, and congrats on the quarter. Um, John, I think last conference call you had some commentary on uh, new customers acquired during, during our January promotion. So just wondering how much of those remain active uh, today? Um, do you think that's been a successful kind of uh, promotion? And maybe on those, you know, maybe smaller magnitude, but do you plan on, on doing more of those? Hey, good morning, uh, George. So um, a few things from that January promo. So we continue to see um, uh, churn at an all-time low. So yes, uh, um, you know, the vast majority of those customers uh, are still with us today. That's kind of the uh, first point. Uh, second point is um, uh, as we grow um, our, our um, SKU assortment, we're seeing the attachment rates uh, rise kind of percentage of our uh, meal kit customers who are also purchasing groceries. So that continues to rise. Uh, and uh, the last piece is if you look at um, our grocery um, revenue per active customer that's buying groceries, that's also growing um, at a really fast rate. And so uh, when we look at these three uh, items and, and um, kind of the data and the feedback that we have from those three items, uh, it does lead us to believe that um, our uh, January promotion 
was highly effective uh, in helping uh, push our grocery strategy and adoption forward. Uh, and if we ever uh, were to um, repeat a similar strategy, the, you know, the most important thing for us is to ensure that uh, the quality of the experience that we deliver um, uh, during that promotion is, um, uh, is flawless. And so that, you know, the, the biggest challenge that we had was really um, the stress that it put on our, uh, on our operations and our facilities. And so that's something that um, you know, we would have to solve before um, doing a similar initiative again. Okay, thanks. And just for my follow-up, I know you guys have a pretty ambitious plan to grow uh, across Canada, but at what point does it maybe become more creative to deploy some capital towards a share buyback, um, given the valuation differential with some of our public competitors out there? Yeah, I, um, uh, you know, certainly looking at uh, our share price and, and our trading multiple, um, you know, we're trading at a discount, a significant uh, discount to HelloFresh, which trades at, at a significant discount to uh, other uh, e-commerce and food delivery uh, companies. So there's there's clearly um, uh, value there, right? In, in kind of thinking about uh, how we get our our valuation and our stock price to to perform better. Um, right now, we have um, um, some highly accretive investments uh, in terms of ROI, and so. Uh, we remain focused on building out our SKU assortment, um, accelerating the delivery speed uh, through our distributed network and all the technology investments that we've mentioned. Um, and as that kind of scales and, and rolls out, um, uh, you know, we'll continue to uh, consider other ways in which we can create value for, for our shareholders. Thank you. Our next question comes from Michael Glenn with Raymond James. Your line is open. Hey, good morning. Um, first question. So when you put out the press release for the facility in Ottawa, it highlighted some specifics with respect to an alignment with Microsoft. Is this a big difference versus how your other warehouses are operated? I'm just trying to understand how the interaction with the, there's a lot of references to Microsoft in that press release, just trying to understand that a little better. Yeah, hey Michael, it's Neil. Um, you know, we've been working with Microsoft for uh, several years now. I can't uh, tell you exactly when we started the uh, relationship, but uh, you know, with uh, the growth of online grocery and um, the success we've had with our customer base in Canada, uh, Microsoft has been, uh, you know, increasingly excited about uh, working with us. So, um, you know, just expanded scope, uh, joint press release, and uh, we're looking forward to, to doing uh, R&D with them in the future. We, we've, uh, we've gotten the teams much, much closer um, and, uh, and are pushing what they can do, um, and they're pushing what we can do. So it's a great partnership. Okay. So that wasn't a new, uh, a new initiative. That was something that was already in place then. Some new, for sure. Like, uh, like I'm saying, like the pushing uh, their systems and uh, them pushing uh, our team to uh, get the most out of uh, specifically the AI pieces of their platform um, are part of uh, the recent discussions, but we've been working with Microsoft for, uh, for several years. Okay. And then, Jonathan, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but is, is what you're seeing in terms of, I'm just trying to understand the overlap between 
the meal kit business and the good food wow is it sounds like the way you're looking at things there's not much overlap maybe correct me if i'm wrong on that but is the customer base really quite distinct uh yeah so we um uh, i guess if you're thinking about overlap from a, a product perspective um there is a lot of overlap it's uh uh, primarily a difference in basket composition. Um, so our our weekly meal kit subscribers um, are ordering meal kits first, right? So that's like the bulk of their basket is meal kits, and they're engaging with um, our grocery assortment as add-on products, right? Like if I'm uh, I'm ordering my meal kit, um, I might order a couple items for breakfast, or I might order uh, some good food olive oil to make the meal kits. Um, so so they're add-on uh, items, which help us grow our basket sizes and, and our margins and, and revenue per customer. So it's, it's, a, it's an AOV play on that front. Um, from the uh, WOW uh, perspective, um, we're seeing, um, I would say, kind of close to 50% of the WOW basket be groceries and 50% of it um, be our meal solutions. So if, if we kind of project that forward, um, based on our expectation of our uh, growth of WOW subscribers, that's kind of how we get to uh, our expectation of, of seeing kind of uh, overall 20% of the business um, hit that um, uh, revenue from uh, um, grocery products uh, sometime in fiscal 22. Um, and so the, the meal kits and the meal solutions are still core to the basket within WOW, right? Like even within our customers that are, um, uh, going to be grocery first. The meal kits are an incredible differentiator. It's a value-added product for, for our customers, uh, and it really simplifies um, our customers' weeknight uh, meal routine. Um, but the basket composition is, um, is more skewed towards groceries, uh, and it creates more reasons to engage with good food. Um, so the intent is to have uh, lower churn, uh, higher order rates, uh, and then the basket sizes kind of or, or the basket composition look quite different than what it is today. Okay. Uh, thanks for taking the questions. Thank you. Our last question comes from Paul Triver with RBC Capital Markets. Your line is open. Oh, thanks very much and good morning. Just wanted to delve into a little bit uh, of subscriber growth uh, and the, the changes you're seeing there. I mean, you mentioned a couple of times that churn is at record lows. Uh, so could you just break down the, the, the growth in subscribers between either new subscribers and, and churn and how you see those trending uh, over the next couple of quarters? Yeah, so certainly as we've been progressing through this um, uh, vaccine rollout um, and uh, reopening of the economy, <clears throat> um, uh, combined with uh, you know the, the summer seasonality that we typically see in in uh, in our Q4, um, uh, you know most of our um, uh, kind of sales and and orders are indeed coming from uh, existing customers uh, rather than uh, new customers. Um, and so we've, we've been focused on really building um, three pillars to, to our growth strategy. So 
you know, the one that, that was primarily driving the good food business over the first few years was increased penetration and, and subscriber growth across the country. Um, we have since uh, built out those two extra pillars of growing um, our uh, basket sizes, as well as growing um, engagement uh, rates with our existing customers. And so uh, during periods of um, kind of seasonal weakness, the focus is really on um, engaging our existing customers and growing um, basket sizes through new products and, and accelerated delivery speeds. Um, and then turning to fiscal 22, uh, the intent will be to, to acquire um, uh, grocery first customers uh, in, a, in a pretty significant way. Um, and so uh, kind of within the first half of fiscal 22, We'll be able to give you um, some more specific updates on that front, but that'll be a huge um, driver of, of growth in our business. Um, you know, as we know, the, the meal kit um, business in Canada uh, um, um, continues to have a, an exciting uh, total addressable market, right? It's a, it's a few billion uh, dollars of, of TAM for sure. Um, this shift uh, into being grocery first is going to put us in a in a market with 130 billion dollars of TAM, uh, and I think we have a really unique uh, way to uh, carve out a market position for good food there. So I have a really unique offering within that 130 billion dollar TAM, uh, and we also expect that our strategy will deliver some of the best gross margins and and ultimately uh, EBITDA uh, in in kind of the grocery delivery business in the world. And with the uh, your, your new planned frictionless platform opening that up to non-subscribers, in the longer term, do you see revenue growth decoupling from subscribers, or do you think it would always be uh, the, the, the e-grocery or, or meal kits? Do you think it would always be you know highly uh, a highly subscriber-driven business? Yeah, I think to a large extent, uh, uh, the decoupling between subscribers and revenue growth has already happened um, uh, because of that increase in, in kind of the basket sizes and the engagements that we've been able to demonstrate um, through our, uh, our strategy and, and execution on that front. Um, I think longer term, the best way to, to think about the business um, will be on, on a quarterly active uh, customer base. And so uh, customers will choose to engage with us in different ways, right? It could be um, uh, off subscription, it could be on a meal kit subscription, and it could be on a wow uh, uh, monthly uh, subscription. And so, so the way that we are really thinking about it is um, uh, kind of quarterly active customers as being the best way to think about our, our customer base. Okay, thank you for taking my question. Thank you. There are no other questions in the queue. I'd like to turn the call back to management for any closing remarks. Thank you for joining us on this call. We look forward to speaking with you again at our next quarterly call. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.
Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.